We're in a series called Gospel in Life, and I want to begin by bringing this up this morning, something I think we can all identify with, and that is, when we were kids, we all had dreams. In fact, I would say when we were kids, we had big dreams. What were some of the dreams that you guys had? If you can think back to when you were a kid, what were some of the things that inspired you and you used to contemplate, this is what I'm going to be when I grow up? I know around six years old, my brothers and I got space helmets for Christmas. And this was right around the time of the space race between the United States and Russia. And they were starting to shoot satellites up into the, you know, up into the atmosphere and into orbit. And uh, so all three of us, man, for a good period of time, we wanted to be astronauts, along with every other boy and maybe girl in America. And then right around that time, maybe a little bit, a year or two later, I don't know, seven or eight years old, and it might have been inspired because my aunt got me a dinosaur set uh, for my birthday or Christmas or something, and I got inspired to dig things up and discover stuff, and I wanted to be, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Now, I don't remember ever trying to dig up any dinosaur bones around the house anywhere, outside, <laughs> I do remember taking a shovel and a pick and heading out back of the house into the field and uh, digging for gold. So I sort of went commercial, I guess. Uh, and, uh, but all, I got down a couple feet, and all I found was mud and dirt. So I gave up that dream. And then I had other dreams come in and replace, dream after dream. And that's the way it is in, in childhood. And I know I could go around this room today and get some great stories from you about some of those childhood dreams you had. And I think that's true of all of us because all of us are born wanting our lives to have an impact. All of us are born wanting our lives to count for something, to have some sort of an effect. You know, I've never met anybody who said, I don't want my life to count. I want my life to be nothing. I've never met anybody who said, I just want my life, my goal in life is to be a zero. My goal is to be as if I had never even existed. I've never met anyone who, who held that. But you know what? I have met some people who grew out of their childhood and came to a place where they began to think that their life was a zero and their life had no impact and it really didn't count for anything because of circumstances, because of broken dreams, because of the way life has turned and maybe come crashing in upon them. I've met a lot of people over my years of ministry who shared that kind of a thing with me. But what if this whole dream capacity, this dream thing that was in you as a child and made you see life like an ongoing adventure, what if that could continue? What if that wasn't just something confined to those childhood years? But you might be thinking this morning, well, aren't we supposed to outgrow that? I mean, don't we, at that age when we wrap up all of our toys and we stick them up in the attic, don't we at the same time just wrap up all that kind of childhood and dreaming and just sort of settle in for the harsh realism of living an adult life? Well, not according to Jesus. In fact, one day when Jesus was teaching, you can read about this in Matthew chapter 18, he asked a child 
to come and stand right in the middle of all the adults. And what he was saying was this, if you want to get a good glimpse of what the kingdom of God is all about, then take a good, hard, close look at this child. Because children are ready for what? Children are ready to believe. Kids are ready to step forward, to step up to a challenge. They're ready to step out. Their imaginations have not been crashed to pieces and broken up by all the realities of life, harsh realities of life. Kids see the future. And, you know, when you you set out a vision for a child, something they want to do, man, their eyes expand to twice their size. They're ready to go. Jesus was saying this. The kingdom of God is not some sort of boring routine of drudgery, humdrum, and that's not what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is an adventure filled with possibilities and surprises. And it's not to end. The kingdom of God goes on forever. Jesus was talking about the same thing on another day when he spoke to a large crowd at one of the Jewish festivals called the Festival of Booths in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. And I want to read what he said that day. On the last day of the feast, it says, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty... Let him or her come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water, a river of living water, will flow from within him or her. And by this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus had not yet died, resurrected, and gone to heaven. Now, if you want to talk about, well, let's put it this way. Jesus was saying, the person who comes to me in faith, they're going to experience something like they could never experience anywhere else. It'll be just like a river starts to flow from the inside of them from the very deepest place. And that river will flow out from their lives. And, and he goes on to say that that river is no one other than God himself, the Holy Spirit, who comes into our lives and begins to flow from our lives just like a mighty river. Now, if you want to talk about life as an adventure... If you want to talk about life having impact and meaning and purpose that will not end, that you can't talk about something that could accomplish something like that more than to have the very life of the living God of the universe flowing inside and out of your life. But that's what Jesus, that's his invitation to that, to everyone who was listening to him that day. Now, we have to ask this question. Was Jesus just using hyperbole? You know, we might read that and say, come on, Jesus, get real. He's just, he's overstating the case for the sake of rhetorical effect. He really wanted to keep the, the, the attention of, the, of, his, of his audience that day. So he's just, he's just really overdoing it. He's overstating the case. Is that what Jesus was doing right there? Well, we know that that isn't what he was doing. 
Let me ask you this question. Have you ever met somebody whose life really impacted you? Now, if you're married in this room today, you better be saying yes to that, okay? Have you ever met someone whose life really impacted you? And I've also seen on Facebook, I've, I've seen some people that are seated in this room today that uh, have met some of those great Black Hawk players and have even had their hand touching that trophy cup. You know who I'm talking about, okay? I see some of you in this room today. You've been there. You, you met some of those guys. Hey, that, they had impact upon your life, right? Well, that's what Christ is talking about here. Because when a, pl- a person places faith in Christ, what's taking place is hyperbolic as it may seem, okay? As fantastic as it may seem. What is actually happening when you place faith in Christ is you are having a personal meeting and a personal encounter with the God who created you. And that God enters into your life. And that's what this river talk is all about. It's the very life of God himself is brought into the person who places faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not hyperbole. What it is, it's the greatest experience of reality that any human being can ever, ever come to know. It's to experience God, who is the ground of all reality. Now, you may be here this morning, and you may be searching out this whole Jesus thing. Uh, You may have come with some skepticism about God, and you might even come here today with some anger about, you know, toward God or uh, some confusion about him. But I do want to say to you, if that's, if that's you, I'm really glad that you're here today. And I believe as you continue to search out Jesus Christ, that you'll find his credentials really stand up to your investigation, that he is who he said he was, and that he will meet you like he said he would. Now, maybe you're, you're here today, and you're at that point where you're ready to trust him. You're ready to take him, step out there in faith. And, and he said, if you're, if you're thirsty, come, drink. And this is, what's gonna, this is what you'll experience. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you right where you are today. Step out in faith and invite Christ to come into your life and see if, see if he doesn't do what he promised to do for you. Um, now, you might be here today And you might be a person who has said, you know what, I've really sort of given up on life. I did have some childhood dreams when I was a kid. But I I have packed all those away, and they're stuck up in some attic somewhere. And basically, what I've seen of life as it's unfolded for me right now, (laughs) I I have no hope left. I I don't see how my life is going to, given the circumstances I've, I've... been dealt, you know, that I'm dealing with, I don't see how my life is going to have any future, any real impact. If you're here this morning, I just want to restate what Christ is saying here is that your life, your life can become that river that he's talking about. Because here's the invitation. He said, if anyone is thirsty, and that anyone includes you, as much as it does anybody else walking the planet, it includes you. So there can be a river, this river he's talking about, that can flow from your life no matter what 
is going on in your life right now. Now, we're in a series called Gospel in Life. And we've been talking about this power of the gospel of Jesus Christ being lived out in our day-by-day living. And we've talked about how those early Christians in that first church in Jerusalem, how it was said of them, you have filled the whole city of Jerusalem with the message of Jesus. And so what was happening in those early Christians? Well, something uncontainable, something that had contagious power and purpose. It was the power of this life-giving river, this river of God that was uncontainable. It was flowing out of their lives into their community, into their families. And what was happening? As that river touched the lives of other people, it created a desire in others to want to know this same Christ. And the church family was growing and growing. And wherever these Christians went in their community, the life was just pouring out from them. That's how real and powerful the river was. And you know, one of the main ways these Jerusalem Christians were able to fill the whole city with the message and the influence of Jesus was because they took the gospel to work with them. And the workplaces of Jerusalem became a major channel for the river of life to be flowing throughout that entire city. And this is what our focus is for the next few moments here in message number six of our series. Uh, that is, taking the gospel to work with us. And when a church understands that all of the workplaces represented in a church family, each one of them is a channel where this river of God's life can flow and touch the lives of multitudes of people, then what happens? The gospel will become a flood that floods the village, that floods the city, because it goes into all the workplaces. It goes into the factories and the offices and the classrooms and the construction sites, the truck routes, the courtrooms, the hospitals, the police departments, the businesses, the department stores, the restaurants, everywhere God's people go when they're outside the church building for 40 or 50 hours a week, out there slaving and laboring away. When that river of life, we're carrying that inside of us, that's reaching out and filling our society. And that will make a profound difference. And Jesus is the first example of someone taking the gospel to work. Because Jesus was a carpenter, and he worked hard as a carpenter. He had blisters and calluses on his hands. Jesus was in the trades. So imagine this. The eternal Son of God, our Savior. Can you picture this? Jesus wore a tool belt from his 12th birthday to age 30. At age 12 is when uh, Jewish parents started to teach their kids a trade. And so from the age of 12 on, Jesus was building tables and cabinets and everything else that carpenters do. That's what he was doing. Now, I don't know what tool belts looked like in those days, but, but I believe he wore a tool belt. And he wore that until those final three years of his life when he shifted and he, he spent his time there presenting himself as the Messiah. So he took the gospel to work. He knew how to swing a hammer. Jesus teaches us, and here's the first thought, nail it down, it should be on the screen. We need, he did, and we need to bring the gospel into our workplace. Now, a lot of times Christians 
sort of seal off or segment off their faith and their beliefs, the spiritual part of their life, from their workplace, as though the two are sort of two different compartments in life. We, our thinking sometimes can be, well, I do all my spiritual stuff at church, that I worship at church. The church is where the spiritual environment and the spiritual part of my life is. And then you might say, and believe me, where I work is anything but a spiritual environment. Far from it. And so the things I do at church, the the whole spiritual Jesus thing just seems like completely alien and foreign to that totally non-spiritual work environment that I'm a part of 40, 50 hours a week. So sometimes we have this, this split. But when we allow that split, that segment, segmentation to occur, what happens is it's like we're building a dam that, that shuts off the flow of the river of Christ's life for 40 or 50 hours a week. Probably the hugest single segment of our week is those 40 or 50 hours a week. We don't want to shut that off to the flow of the life of Jesus Christ coming out of our lives, having an influence. Now, your, your spiritual, the place where you work, maybe it is a total spiritual desert. It could be a dry, dry, dry spiritual desert. But you know what? That's all the more reason, all the more reason why this powerful, mighty river of God's life needs to flow into that dry spiritual desert. And that's our calling as Christians and a huge part of it. You know, I'm, I'm really grateful that there was a man who works for, still works for, the Johnstone Heating and Air Conditioning Supply Store up in Morton Grove. I'll be thankful for all of eternity that this man works there and that this man took the gospel to work with him because he's the one who was able to reach my son-in-law, Jim, and lead him to Christ. I had had lots of conversations with my son-in-law and I'd been praying for him with all my heart for years. But you know who reached him? A guy who took the gospel to work with him. And every time this man lived the life in front of Jim, and every time he had an opportunity without being obnoxious or pushy or anything like that, every time he had an opportunity to say something to Jim, he did. And ultimately, uh, one day, uh, Jim, and Jim, his, his, this man works... Uh, under Jim, and uh, this man came into his, into Jim, uh, Jim was in his office, and he called this guy, hey, I want you to come in, come into my office. The guy, I I talked to this guy, he didn't know what was going on when he got called into the office there, but when he walked in, this is what Jim said, he said, I'm ready to, to put my faith in Jesus, and what a great day at work that was, Uh, and that became, you know what, that moment became as holy as any cathedral on the face of the planet, (laughs) right there at Johnstone Heating and Air Conditioning Supply. It became a cathedral where a man met God, where the life-giving river of Jesus Christ flowed into a spiritual desert-like environment and rescued a human being for all of eternity. Changed the course of his life 
and obviously his family. How many of you here this morning came to faith by the influence of somebody that you maybe met at work? Anybody here today like that? Okay, I see you some. Okay, I see a couple hands, a few hands right there. How about the influence of somebody that you'd met outside of the church? How many people, how, how, what was, how many of you came to Christ that way? Okay, I saw some more hands right there. Um, now, how do we let it be known that we are followers of Jesus when we're at work? How do, we, how do we do that? Do we carry a great big huge Bible around with us? Big family Bible? <laughs> okay. Uh, I wouldn't suggest that. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you preach on company time? I wouldn't recommend that either. Uh, here's what I would recommend. I would recommend just a good huge dose of being normal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just be normal. Okay, don't be obnoxious, don't be crazy, be normal. Work hard, work with the attitudes of Jesus Christ in your life, live the faith out, build relationships, and then as opportunities come, speak into them. A great thing to say at work sometimes with a person as you build a relationship is, obviously they're going to share some of the story of their life with you and a need. Sometimes you can simply say, hey, I want you to know I, I will really be praying for you. I believe in prayer. And that can open up great doors to speak further into a person's life. Uh, you can share your story as you get to know a person. Here's what Christ means to me. And, uh, and let it go from there. Let the Holy Spirit guide and direct so taking the gospel to work, hugely, hugely important for us. Jesus teaches us another way we can take the gospel to our workplace. And that is that the gospel changes the very motivation with which we approach our work. You know, a lot of times uh, the reason we would say we have a job is, well, we need the benefits of that job, okay? We need to be paid. We need to pay our bills. We need to make a living. We need to have insurance and a sense of status and approval. And those are all, those are proper reasons to have a job. But the Apostle Paul takes it a lot further than that. He says, as Christ followers, our whole approach to our job completely changes. This is what he says in Colossians 3, 23, 24. He says, whatever you do, Work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. In other words, go about your job, whatever it is, ultimately to please God. God is your boss on the job site. God is your audience. God is your supervisor. You are not working for people. You are not even just working for the money. You're working for the Lord. You're working, if you're, if you're digging a ditch 40 or 50 hours a week, you are digging that ditch with all your heart just as much as if you're in the church teaching a class. Because everything we do as Christians, there's no sacred secular split in our lives. Everything we do, we do it knowing we stand on the holy ground of God's presence.
Whatever we're doing, we do it as worship to the Lord. So do your work with all your might, all your ingenuity, all your heart, all your creativity, and know that you're being a good manager of the gifts and the abilities that God has given you. Approach those 40 or 50 hours of your work week as worship because all work has intrinsic value and dignity because God created this material world and he loves this material world. He wants us to care and cultivate it. It's very important to him. That means, like I said a moment ago, whether you're a a ditch digger or a mathematician, your work has dignity to it. You're working with God's creation. From the very first day, God took Adam and Eve, he put them into a garden. And, And as they were out there working in that garden, God was getting pleasure because they were digging up the raw material of his creation. They were seeding it, planting it, rearranging it, and they were bringing out of it fruit and flowers or beauty. And that's what, all of, that's what all of us do in our work. It's taking the raw material of God's creation and making something beautiful and beneficial for others come out of it to the glory of God. So two things. We are not to go to our jobs and underwork. That would be slack off, or take the attitude, this work is meaningless. If I didn't have to waste my time here, I could really serve the Lord. Don't take that attitude. Because the scripture, because the Lord says, whatever we do, do it with all your heart because the Lord is your supervisor. The Lord is the one you're pleasing there. That means... That whatever we do, singing in church like we did today, or working at the the job like we'll do tomorrow, all of it is profoundly spiritual if we give it to him. Now, on the other side of it, we're not to overwork either. Now, what can cause us to overwork? Well, there's things like workaholism. A lot of times behind that can be greed, materialism, the desire for more. Or sometimes behind it is finding your identity in your career. But as a Christian, we understand that our identity is not in our work. Our value and our identity come from Jesus Christ. He's the one who makes us who we are. It's not because of the money. It's not because of doing a good job. That's not my identity. It's, it's from Christ. And what that does, when we live that way, that shows those around you at the workplace that you have values that are deeper than money deeper than materialism, and deeper than climbing that ladder of success. Though God's all for advancement and success. He's all for that. Yet they are not the ultimate things. Now, I know that there are some people in this room today facing big pressures at work. And some of you are facing totally unfair demands, over demands upon your time, doing the work of two or three people. And I understand that some of you are facing some unfair and totally unreasonable bosses where you work. And, you know, the Lord is not saying there's never a time to deal with these things. Sometimes there is a time to step up and deal with these things. Sometimes there is the time to go to that boss and just have an honest talk with that boss about what's going on. It even might get to a point sometimes where you pull out the old resume and start to get that ready to go and send it out to new places. Sometimes that's what's called for in workplaces. And God 
You know, God can guide you and lead you in taking those steps. But you know what? I know a lot of people that consider those things and maybe have tried those things, but they're still, it just, you know, they're still in that very difficult, difficult place. So what do we do in those kinds of situations? Well, those are the places where that childlike adventure of life can really take a beating because of the harsh realities that you know, are crashing in on you so, or because of the life circumstances that are pressing in. And sometimes, like we said, life can seem more like a nightmare and a spiritual desert instead of living out the adventure of God's will. Now, uh, what, do we, what do we as followers of Christ do when we're, when we're trapped in a spiritual desert or we feel like we are? Two things. One is realize that it may be a spiritual desert all around you where you are. But it is not a spiritual desert inside of you. There is a mighty river of the Holy Spirit who is flowing inside of you. And he is giving you an inner resource that is as deep as the life of God himself. The life that flows in that river is the life of God, and it is inexhaustible. And no matter what the spiritual desert is, you can draw from that deep, deep, deep river of God's presence. And the second thing is, that river is flowing from you, showing the people around you how a Christ follower responds under that kind of pressure and having an impact upon, that, upon other people's lives. So if you're, in a, if you're in a nightmare today, if you're in a spiritual desert, whatever the circumstances might be, realize that this river of his presence is there and it's flowing inside of you to give you the strength to come through that. You know, faith is living day by day with an assertion of who you are in Christ. Day by day, as we assert who we are in Christ, this river will continue to flow. Now, here's one other thing. I come from Pennsylvania, and there is a very, very powerful thing that happens in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Three rivers come together there. How many of them know who the, what, which rivers are? What those rivers are? Anybody? <laughs> okay. You don't get the prize. What are they? Three rivers. It's the name of the ball stadium. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. The Ohio, the Allegheny, and this is the one that probably really stump you. The Monongahela. <laughs> okay. Those three rivers come together there. And when they do, they form a mighty force that has sustained this nation all through its history. So when you're facing a spiritual desert, one of the best things you can do, in fact, one of the things you must do, is stay joined to your small group. That handful of other Christians in whom the river is also flowing and the river in your life and the river in their lives come together. And I'll tell you what, together they form a mighty, mighty force that will sustain you and through you will become the sustaining force of hope in the lives of other people that God wants your life to be a witness to. So, no matter the stress or the challenge in your life today, the impact and the adventure and the purpose that God has for your life is not 
over. In fact, it is in front of you. And the most effective things you will ever accomplish in this world and the most impactful things you will ever accomplish in this world because of this river that's flowing in you, they are in front of you. Your life is brimming with hope today and with possibility and potential. If your thirst is for Jesus Christ, because the proportion is this, to the proportion that I thirst for Jesus Christ, that is, that's the proportion that this river that I'm going to receive from him is going to come flowing and bursting forth from my life. So I want to encourage you this morning to keep thirsting for Jesus Christ and see if he doesn't fulfill his part of the bargain and keep this river flowing in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you will establish us in your word today and let this river of life continue to flow, Lord, from the deepest part of every person in this room. Help us to have that encounter with the living Savior of the world who can do so much in us and so much through us, even in a spiritual desert, even in a place where living is full of difficulties and challenges. You are the Lord. Our identity and our strength and our hope and life, it is in you. And Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks for your great, pro- for your great promise, the promise of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.